This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, February 3rd. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Happy to report that I am one step closer to the peace of mind that will be complete once I receive my second dose of Moderna, but I'm halfway there and counting down for shot number two in just a few weeks. I say that as I try not to get the cart too far ahead of the horse, but my fingers are crossed that by Q3, we may actually begin returning to a greater semblance of normalcy in our lives, something that we all continue to wish for. So what do you say? Did Eric Van Horn turn in a command performance last week or what? I hope to do the same for him later today, as I'll be appearing on his podcast, Franchise Secrets, where for a change, I'll be the guest as opposed to the interviewer. Eric really had a lot to share, and from so many perspectives of franchise experience, in his young life, he has already checked off lots of buckets. He's been a highly successful multi-unit franchisee, an area developer, a broker, consultant, a creator, and facilitator of mastermind groups for highly successful and engaged franchisees, and now stepping up to his next chapter in life as a franchisor, partnering with a couple of other highly respected franchise veterans, Zach Butler and Josh Skolnick, as they all partner with veteran roofer John Sabo and bring Mighty Dog Roofing to market as a home service franchise brand. And speaking of success stories, this week we're joined by another fascinating entrepreneur, one that has also enjoyed phenomenal success in the growth and development of her brand. It's a great story of grit, determination, passion, and moxie that has propelled Gina Rivera and Phoenix Salon Suites to nearly 300 units and steady, healthy growth through the years. When we return from a quick timeout, Gina Rivera will join us with her great story as Franchise Today continues. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. We are all familiar with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes Zor Forum, a somewhat similar type of executive group, but this one comes with a twist. Zor Forum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zor Forum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform. In this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zor Forum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations, but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive sets, so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zor Forum. Learn more at zorforum.org. That's www.zorforum.org. 
Coming from a family who has been in the industry since 1929, Gina Rivera was destined to pursue a career in the world of beauty. From her early roots of sweeping hair from the floors of her parents' salon, Gina attended beauty school and later moved to a booth renter salon where she quickly established a winning reputation. Clients loved her as she never let anyone leave without feeling amazing. And the staff adored her because she was so open about sharing her knowledge and offering support where needed. Based on her Earnings behind the chair, Gina realized that not all salons are created equal, and a majority of booth renters are usually provided very little support to ensure their success. With a passion for the industry, Gina became a fierce advocate for supporting the goals of lifestyle professionals who had the desire to operate their own salons but perhaps lacked the financial resources to do so. Gina realized that she had the opportunity to redefine the options available for sole proprietors in the beauty industry industry. And with this, Phoenix Salon Suites was born, establishing a new experience and opportunity for lifestyle professionals to own and operate a business at a fraction of the cost of traditional salon settings. Gina is a wife and a mom, a national seminar speaker, addressing both the artistic and business side of the beauty industry for the American Association of Hair Care Professionals and others. She's also a seasoned columnist, featured in well-known publications such as Fashion and Style, Modern Salon, The Huffington Post, Glamour, Today.com, Oprah's O Magazine, and a little closer to home for this audience, The Franchise Times. With more than 500,000 social media followers tracking her tip of the week, this undercover boss has quickly become one of the most well-read columnists on the web, providing advice on how to succeed in business and life to fans and beauty enthusiasts. Gina Rivera, welcome to Franchise Today. Uh, Well, thank you so much for having me. I I feel so blessed to be here. Well, from what I've learned about you, a lot of people are blessed to have you in their lives. So I'll just count myself (laughs) as the latest addition to that fan club. How would that be? Uh, I I love it. I'm honored. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I am too. Gina, we've got a lot that I want to try to learn today and share with the audience as I've learned that you're a person who loves to share and really does care. And we'll come to all of that, but we've got to start the way I always do. And that is to ask my guests how franchising found them. What did that look like for you? Well, I'm going to take you back a little bit. I actually grew up in the industry. My father my mother, um, I actually today have 27 hairdressers in my family, but uh, back when I was the little girl, I was sweeping hair at 11 years old, maybe even 10. I was even shampooing hair and thank God state board never really came in and checked on anything because I'm pretty sure I wasn't allowed to do that. But I knew um, I grew up in the industry. It was part of my DNA. I knew from the tiny little girl that I um, wanted to be part of the industry and fast forward, I, I was in a hurry with life and I hit 17 years old and I hated high school. And I, I told my parents I was going to go visit a friend, Nikki, and I decided to jump on an airplane and drop out of high school and uh, went to Arizona. <laughs> for a few years. And in Arizona, you were actually allowed to apprentice. Well, I signed up for beauty school while I was in Arizona, but I wasn't really diligent about going. But um, I was able to apprentice a hairdresser out there, not having a high school diploma. And so I kind of had some wild out years. 
I woke up one morning and I was like, you know, Jane, I'm 20 years old. I got to get my high school diploma. And um, that's when I went back to Colorado. I went back to high school at 20 years old. I actually went back to the classroom and got my high school diploma. It was then that uh, I got my cosmetology license as well that year. And I started doing hair and I just worked in a commission salon, you know, building my clientele. And that kind of brought me to 2003 when I purchased my first salon. So when you said you grew up in the industry and in the business, you're not talking about the franchise business. You're talking about the, the hair care business, the, oh, the beauty yes, business. Absolutely. I, I knew nothing of franchising. Yeah. I, I mean, I all I knew was I was around my dad who made his clients beautiful and my mom who did nails and hair. And, you know, I just was behind the chair. I was a stylist myself and really hair. It was my first love. Um, I had no business background. I mean, for goodness sake, I dropped out of high school. And so I just had a passion for hair. And so it was when I bought my first salon in 2003, which I actually named it after, after your son, Phoenix. Yes, yes, I did. And how that story is interesting, how that came about. Um, I always say Phoenix was born, the Phoenix Salon Suisse was born when Phoenix was born because at the time I was just doing hair when I was pregnant with him. I was doing hair. I was in a regular salon. I was running a chair. So I still had an owner and not really a boss, but you know, someone that still had control over everything. And I was running a chair and rent was due every Saturday. And I had went in to labor with my son, Phoenix, almost three weeks early. And so I went into the hospital. I had Phoenix. I wasn't there that Saturday. So my boss had called me. And of course, she got Jason on the phone, my husband. And she said, hey, you know, how's Gina? Is she okay? And he said, well, actually, she just had our son, Phoenix. And um, she said, oh, you know, tell her congratulations. But, you know, if she wants to keep her her chair somebody's going to have to run the rent check down in the next hour before I leave. Mm. And I looked at my husband at that moment, Jason, and I said, you know what? I'm done. I am so done with it always being about the owner. It's never about the lifestyle professional, the stylist and their needs and their wants. And I'm done and I'm not going back. And so it was then that I purchased my first salon in 2003 and named it Phoenix. It was just a open concept salon. I had girls that just rented chairs and I was behind the chair myself. And I started to find it kind of challenging doing hair yet running the salon, taking care of the other stylist, what have you, I found it really challenging. And I kind of was at a point where I was getting a little bit discouraged. And I came home and I told Jason and he said, you know, why don't you just sell it, have a baby and just want to do hair. Well, it was about that time that I found a space that was in the same strip mall that I was in my salon. And it was about 4,500 square feet. And I remembered as a very young girl, before my dad had his salon, my mother worked in this salon and she had her own room and it was decorated how she liked and she played her own music. And I can remember a little girl like twirling in front of the mirror, pretending like it was my salon. And when the space came available, I went back and I was like, that's what I want to do. So I ran home and I said, Jason, I found this spot. 
it's 4,500 square feet. I want to buy, I want to build little mini salons inside. Well, <laughs> he was like, Gina, that's the dumbest idea. And I'm like, no, it, I, I swear. <laughs> so in 2007, I built 22 suites and got it filled right away. Before I even opened, I was on a waiting list. And so in 2008, I decided to do a second location. So I got even crazier. This one was 37 suites. So it was much bigger. And the housing crisis hit in 2008. And I thought I was just going to lose everything. I mean, I wasn't one that came from a lot of money. I didn't have a business background. I just had this love and passion for what I did. And I saw what it was doing to lifestyle professionals' lives, having their own little business. And so when I started losing lines of credit and what have you during that housing crisis, I just, I was just like, oh my gosh, but I still filled up my location. And it was at that moment that I came home and I was like, Jason, who he had a marketing degree, he had his own company and he had been dealing with franchisors in, in the franchise world. And so I said, Jason, I mean, it's the housing crisis. We still filled this place. Is there any way I could just beg you to sell your company and come over because I want to be behind the chair still. I want to do hair, but I want to grow it. And so he being a wonderful man did, did just that. He sold his company and he came over and he was my, became my CEO. And in 2012, we opened up our first franchise location. So that's how I got into, so it definitely found me. <laughs> what was the inspiration to take this concept and turn it into the business of licensing or giving space to practitioners? I think it's become a cottage industry. I mean, it's a big deal now. There are a lot of salons in the competitive set, but where did the birth of that idea come from? What was it that motivated you to think about doing this in, in a scaled up version of yourself? Well, what it did for me was when I went into labor with Phoenix early in, and, and I mean it when I said I was just so tired of it being about you know the owners and, and never it being about the lifestyle professionals and, and not ever having empathy for what it's like for us to be behind the chair for 15 hours a day and no maternity leave and it, the culture wasn't there. And so when I bought my first salon, it was just so important for me that I wanted to build a new culture and I wanted it to change. I wanted it to start being about the salon professional, the lifestyle professional. And I have such empathy for lifestyle professionals because I am one that when I was able to give them the opportunity to own and operate their own salon, I mean, it just, I can't even tell you, I get emotional just what that does for them. Like you just liberated them and what you've done, you've changed their life. And so that was my motivation was walking in and seeing lifestyle professionals that are decorating their own suite and finally they own their own business and they have control and they're sitting there in tears and parents are hugging them. And I'll never forget, I have a story of a gal that rented a suite for me and it was in our second location. And I'll never forget, I was 
sitting there. It was moving day. Everybody, we had opened, everybody was moving in and moving all their stuff in. And there was just all this hustle and bustle and excitement and ladders and paint. And I mean, it just, it was just the greatest scene in the world. And I'll never forget, I was walking down the hall and one of the stylists was in her suite with her mom and dad. And her dad was sitting there and they were both hugging and crying. And he said, I never thought in my life, I would ever see anybody in our family own their own business. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was like, it was just my ticket to go. Like I, it just warmed my heart and that's what motivated me. So how does this work for the professional practitioners? Do they pay you just a flat monthly fee and they keep all of their earnings or do they pay a percentage of earnings? How does that look? So yeah, so each location has individual suites. So lifestyle professionals, anywhere from hairstylists to barbers to tattoo artists. Now we're even moving into the kind of the wellness, Botox, estheticians. I I mean, just anybody in the health, beauty, chiropractors. You know, we even have teeth whitening, what have you. Anybody in the wellness, health and beauty and wellness. What they do is they rent their suite which is a weekly rent, but yet they have their own door, their own keys, their own four walls. They can decorate however they want. They can work their own hours. They have access to the building 24 seven. So they own their own business. So they just pay a weekly rent. But to answer your question, yes, everything they make, they keep. So it's like a WeWork, but it's a specialized WeWork. It's for professional services. Instead of running an office space in a shared community, you're still in a shared community. And I'll bet, I'll just bet that all of these different people who rent their spaces are marketing and cross-promoting like crazy with one another, aren't they? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, take for instance, in some of our locations, like I said, we'll have a hairstylist, but we'll have a chiropractor and the maybe a client of the chiropractors is looking for a hairstylist. And so they refer each other. And so it's really a fun dynamic. It's great networking. Businesses cross over and, and refer their clients to Cindy down the hall who does Botox. And Cindy's client down the hall who gets Botox is looking for a barber. So it's, yes, it's still a tight community, but yet it's their own. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the transition from one or two of these locations that you had a vision for. You had the help of your husband, Jason, and his background. You said he had some franchise experience. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that when we come back from the break and walk us up from one or two units to how you turn this into a multi-hundred unit empire. We're talking today with Gina Rivera. She's the founder and the president of Phoenix Salon Suites, and she'll be back with more right after this. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball. But there's no hoodoo here. 
It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today and take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot on assessments, based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. And the conversation continues with Gina Rivera, who's just making it sound oh so simple that she, (laughs) she with practically no experience in business of any kind, has become the franchisor of Phoenix Salon Suites with more than 200 units around the country and growing exponentially, soon to be international as well. Gina, what did you draw on to learn about franchising? It's not an easy business model, and we both know that it's not as easy to scale a business as it is to operate one. So what what did you do to draw on experience and how much of that was Jason able to help you with from whatever he might've been doing before? Right. Well, so he had a degree in marketing. He actually, let me, a little bit of his background. He, we met because he grew up in the DC area, um, Washington DC area, but he actually came to Colorado because he was at the Olympic training center. He was an athlete there in, in the sport of judo. And while he was an athlete, he went to college and got his business and marketing degree um, from CU. And he always an entrepreneur, you know, at heart. And he decided to start his own marketing company. It was actually a secret shopping company, just kind of started with little restaurants here and there and little mom and pop bars and what have you. And he built that up pretty successfully and and started getting some bigger accounts with some bigger, big chains of restaurants. And so he had a professor that he always went back to and kind of asked questions and mentored Jason. And so just Jason having his marketing company and dealing with some of these big franchise chains, these restaurants, he, you know, just kind of got a feel for what that was like. And so for him, he was he was more knowledgeable about that world than I was. I mean, I like I said, I I keep saying I'm just I was a stylist. I was behind the chair. I love doing hair, but I saw something. You know, I saw what it was how it was changing lives. And so I wanted to grow it, but I just didn't know how. And so that's when I came home and I said, hey, I need some help. And you know, I don't know how to grow this have more knowledge. And and that's when he decided to help me out. So help us with some of those early stage days of becoming a franchisor. We're talking to an audience of many emerging franchisors who may be doing right now what you were doing back then. How did that start to roll out? How did you start to manage the difference between operating a chair, then becoming the landlord, if you will, of a larger organization of many people who are paying you rent for their chairs, and then scaling the business of location, location, location from one to multiple in the franchise business model. What were some of those early days looking like for you? Well, let me back up. Never anything is as easy as it sounds, right? And so we, I definitely had my challenges. As a matter of fact, before I even started to franchise, when I opened up my very first Phoenix salon in 2007, I didn't know the first thing about hiring contractors, builders, what have you, just kind of network. And I had this vision, but no, I had to kind of go school apart 
hard knocks and I didn't have a college degree. I didn't have, <laughs> you know, I knew nothing about that whole side. So it was just, when I say going to school of hard knocks, that's exactly what it was. It was just hiring my neighbor down the street that knew how to put up walls. And so long story short, when I built my very first Phoenix Lawn Suites, actual suite, I was open two days and I was doing hair behind the chair. I had the first suite when you walked into our location and this man in front of my client handed me a certified letter and I opened it up and I, mind you, I did not hardly have a penny when I put in my first salon. I had to scrape savings. I had I mean, when I say that we were down to nothing, like it was either going to work or it wasn't. And so I didn't have anything to lose at the time and nor did Jason. And we had this new baby and I get certified, these certified papers and our contractor didn't pay us up. So I was being sued by every person that put a finger on anything that had to do with that salon. So got into a lawsuit for three years. I made over $150,000 in mistakes. I put in all, I thought white carpet would be beautiful. And so I put in this white carpet. Well, it looked a mess in two days. So I had to rip that out. I put in a 110 foot waterfall because I loved water and that never works. And so I made $150,000 worth of mistakes and I was in a lawsuit, but we got through that. And so I learned a lot and I, I'm thankful for that time now looking back because it does teach you a lot. You do learn from your mistakes and you get wiser and you know, as you go along. And so by the time that I was ready to franchise, I knew the concept was going to work because I thought if I can fill a location of 37 suites during a housing crisis, then this is good. And so I just kept the vision and the mission and the culture and my love and passion and rolled up our sleeves and I brought Jason on and I will tell you, I was always very open-minded and it was important for me to surround myself with people that could help me grow. And I think sometimes when we kind of have this idea and we're entrepreneurs and, and we want to go and put this in that I think that we've all feel like we always have to know everything. Everything. And I found out early on that it was okay not to know everything. How to grow is how to be able and be humble and be open and go out there and find those mentors or those people that know something that you might be weak in. And so early on, I just... As I grew the executive team part of it, I was just very diligent in bringing people on that added complete value with their thoughts, their visions, their, their ideas to help grow. You know, it's kind of funny that I talk to a lot of franchisors and I've learned through my interviews over the years that I find two kinds of really successful franchisors. One bucket would be those who are extremely educated and they are engineers and they've made a life of dotting I's, crossing T's and everything systematized from day one. And then the other bucket are people like you and me. And that's the people who have all the spirit and all the heart. You called it the school of hard knocks. I call mine the school of lifelong learning. I too never finished college, but I profess to have a PhD. My PhD is an acronym for a people handling degree. And I sense that you've got one of those too. <laughs> yes. Mine is not paper. <laughs> Smiling but, and hugs, putting smiles on people's faces. <laughs> don't do, don't do as I did. Just 
<laughs> you know, but. Um, but I get a sense that you're a pay it forward person. So when people come into your business, it would seem to me that they're coming into a culture as well as a business model that enables them to benefit from the experiences that you're providing for them. And, and the merit of all of the mistakes you made is a, an opportunity for them to be saved from some of that. And I think too, that I, I think of my early days in franchising when I was in real estate franchising, I'm kind of reminded here of the early days of a Remax kind of a concept where better qualified agents would pay to have their space, but not have to share their commissions. Isn't this kind of similar to that? Yes. Yes. 100%. So what's the future look like and who is it that is best qualified to come into your world? How do you pre-qualify people for chairs as well as for franchises? And what's the magical ingredient that says this person's got the right stuff? Yeah. Well, a couple things on the lifestyle professional side, typically, usually, I mean, you will have one come out of the woodwork that doesn't have a book of business, but typically, you know, 99% of the time, lifestyle professionals, by the time they come into a Phoenix and, and open up a suite, they're have a good book of business. They're established, not to say that I haven't had professionals come right out of school and, you know, you just get that one that is a go-getter and I'm going to make this work and they do it. So that side of it, they have a pretty good book of business and pretty established. So that says a lot. And then on our side, again, it's just about executives that people like from real estate to construction to operations, having, I have a, a phenomenal team that I can't be more proud of that are just amazing at their areas that they live in. And that is huge to surround yourself with a good team always. And we're continuing to grow. I, I'm just on the verge of crossing 300 locations in the US. We are just getting ready to go into the UK and we are we're growing rapidly. And, and I have to tell you, even during this pandemic, we really never had a store close. We're still opening stores. Our interest in sweets has gone up since the pandemic 400%. So it's amazing how the pandemic, how much we are still rapidly growing. And, and, and that has a lot to do with just we might be getting off track here, but that has a lot to do with lifestyle professionals. They go into work, they're working 12, 15 hours a day. They're on this hamster wheel. They're just going, going, going. And the shutdown happened when the pandemic hit the first time in history that salons were shut down. I mean, my dad has been behind the chair since he was 19 years old. He retired at 76. And so when it first happened, he was like, you know, Gina, you can always count on, you'll still always be able to do hair through crises, through pandemics. We've been through so many, but this was the first time in history that that had ever happened. And it, I think it made a lot of professionals, they had to stop, they were home, they had to hit the pause button, and they started to really reevaluate their businesses and how they wanted to work. And I believe that a lot of lifestyle professionals were like, I want to be in control of my own business. I want to have my own place where I know I'm the only one touching my shampoo bowl or my sink or my chair 
chair and I'm one-on-one with my clientele. And so it's been interesting with the pandemic. Like I said, you know, the sweet interest has gone up 400%. It's so sad on the other side of it because you just, it breaks my heart. Some of these bigger salons that had to shut down. I mean, my heart just aches for them, but I feel so blessed that they have an opportunity at Phoenix to be able to go into a location and still take their book of business and still own their own environment and even take stylists that maybe they had in their salons with them. And so it's all about getting through it together, but it's we're, we're still growing. And that's phenomenal. Let's talk a bit about how you're growing. Are you doing multi-unit or are you doing single unit operators or are you doing territories? How does the franchise development program work with Phoenix? Right. So we don't really do territories. We so we have some franchisees that are multi-unit. We have some that just have one. We're not a one size fits all. So we just kind of customize and just really we're we're here. We're Phoenix. We are who we are. You are you know, when you become a franchisee, you are part of our family. And, you know, we're just here to help you as a franchisee fit your needs, what's going to be best for you. So we do have some franchisees that have, gosh, we have a franchisee that he's opened up several, several locations. And then we have just franchisees that just have one store. And so to answer your question, we're just kind of not a one size fits all. Do you use brokers at all? Yeah. So we do. Yeah, we definitely get some leads and, and we've gotten an uptick in leads too, as far as franchises during the pandemic. As a matter of fact, we sold 60 new franchise licenses in 2020. So the level of interest is huge. Believe it or not, (laughs) a lot of our stores that are already open, they were actually one case in point early on, we had a national director of construction and he would build these and he saw what it was doing to the lifestyle professionals and the tier and the, oh my God, I have my own business and the excitement that he was like, I want to be part of it. And so he actually started his own stores and God, I don't even want to misquote, but he's up to quite a few stores. And so a lot of our, like our executive team that we have, they actually became franchisees because <laughs> they just loved to see what it was doing to the lifestyle professionals, the culture that we had, the family who Jason and myself are, and they really wanted to be a part of it. So a lot of our growth in the beginning was just word of mouth. Well, you know, they say that there's no better testimonial than an existing franchisee coming back for a second or a third. Second to that, I would suggest that the best referral, the best way to prove up the value of your concept is when somebody who's on corporate says, I'm jumping in and buying. I mean, they're on the inside. They know what's going on. Yeah. And if they see that as a viable opportunity, that speaks, just speaks volumes. What about the common traits of franchisees? What do you look for people to bring with them that you can train up the skills or the things that they have to learn, but what are the attributes that you've got to see in somebody when you bring them into your concept as a franchisee? Well, I never count anybody out. I try not to pre-judge or qualify because a lot of people probably didn't think that I finished high school and now I have over 300 locations, you know, rank 64 in Entrepreneur Magazine. 
but when we meet them, I love to meet all of our franchisees personally. Before they even sign on the dotted line, they'll get to sit down. Now it's Zoom, but we all sit down and kind of let you get to know who we are and who I am and our background and our mission and our vision and what have you. But we have all walks of life and we have business owners, we have police officers, we have people that were in the tile business. So we have all walks of life that are franchisees that really all have somebody that really embraces our culture. You know, it's our baby's name, Phoenix, that's on everything and the culture. And we want them to embrace my heritage and family and the legacy. I mean, my heritage goes back to 1929 and I have 27 hairdressers in my family. And so there's a long line and a big heritage that I guess just we look for just people that are just open-minded and just really want to get in the business of changing lives because that's what they're doing. So you actually boast being one of the highest rated episodes of Undercover Boss. (laughs) I'm curious what lessons came out of that for you. Were there any surprises? Did you learn anything that surprised you to find out by doing the Undercover Boss? Well, I always say that's a different discussion for a different day over a lot of wine. Oh, and I went kicking and screaming. I did not want to do Undercover Boss. I was so upset about that. And we probably don't have near enough time to talk about all that. Because like I said, I'm not kidding you. We could sit here for a year, but didn't want to do it. I went kicking and screaming, but I did it. And I'll never forget. They had picked us and they wanted me to go undercover. And I had to leave my kids and leave my house and travel with these 35 people I didn't even know for 10 to 12 days and being behind a camera 24 seven. I mean, I was content. I was a mom. I was behind the chair. I had my salons, you know, I, I was like, I was content. And so I was just sick and I just was praying this show would get canceled. I was praying for everything that would happen that I wouldn't have to do it. But one night I was just on my knees and I was just like, Lord, look, I mean, I don't want to do this. And there are so many people out there that have trained their whole lives and want to be on TV you can go use them. I'm fine. And he said, I'm sending you on a job for me. It's not about you. It's something I'm sending you to do for me. And so I went and I can't tell you how it changed my life. And and I'm not talking about the cameras and TV and all of that, but the salon professionals that I met during that filming and the adversities that they were in, what they had overcome and just their passion for what they did. I mean, it just became such a huge blessing to me to be in their presence and and hear their stories. And it was just so inspirational. And as founder of Phoenix, you know, it was hard, but I went in and got told things that we needed to change, but that was good. And it was early on. We only had a few stores when that opened. So it was really funny because by the time it aired, a lot of those problems had already been fixed. It was aired nine months after I shot it. So it was kind of fun to, that's a little fun fact that by the time it aired, like a lot of those problems early on, we had already made those right. But yeah, you know, as, as I came back and I learned so much, I learned so much what I needed to do better, how to make a better environment for these lifestyle professionals. I watched how CBS ran their team and 
what an inspiration they were and how they ran things. So I definitely came home with a bigger site for running a tighter ship as far as with my executive team. And then of course, the marketing piece. I mean, who knew and that it would become the most popular episode, but it did. But that obviously branding wise just really catapulted Phoenix. Gina, we're coming around the final turn. At this point, I've got to ask you, is there anything that I didn't ask you today that you might wish I did? No. What we talked about is what we were supposed to talk about. (laughs) How about you? (laughs) I feel great. I think you've done a terrific job of just being yourself and and helping this audience understand that putting one's mind to anything can make it happen. It doesn't mean that it will be a home run like yours for anyone and everyone who comes about it without a formal education, but determination, will, and heart and soul go an awful long way as currency. And I think you've kind of demonstrated that clearly here with what you've done with coming around to 300 locations. What about some contact info? If those that wanted to try to reach back out to you and get a little more information, how would you put them in touch with you? So social media, Facebook, you can go to Gina Rivera. It's just Gina Rivera. Um, I have an Instagram beauty expert Gina and also um, obviously you can always reach out on our uh, website Phoenix Salon Suites just reach out to me anytime terrific well I've really enjoyed this oh well thank you so much for having me and thank you for being you and you doing this for everyone well time flew Gina (laughs) (laughs) too much fun (laughs) thanks for being here and thanks for sharing thank you so much God bless you You know, week after week, I think that we've hit the high watermark on the stories told by passionate professionals in franchising. But guess what? We just keep having to reset the bar as stories like Gina's keep crashing the ceiling and taking their success stories to a whole new level. Next week, we'll do it again. But until then, please keep making great things happen for your franchisees, yourselves, and all of those that you care about and support. Keep working smarter and hitting the gas harder and punching through whatever gets in your way. Until next week, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.